The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. But in the meantime, we are going uh, to continue on in now this new study that we began last week of looking at the Sermon on the Mount, that it has been described as the greatest sermon ever preached. And with that in mind, as I considered it and was putting together our, our calendar of sermons over the course of the next months and weeks together, it dawned on me that to try to squeeze this into just a few weeks this fall would not do service if indeed, and I agree, that it is the greatest sermon ever preached. And so we're going to begin this week at a sort of semi uh, series within a series of looking at the Beatitudes, of looking at each of those each week over the course of the next eight weeks, and then looking at the sections that follow of the healings uh, that Jesus has within the kingdom and some of the teachings that we gain uh, from those things, and then coming out of uh, this section, uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer after the first of the year, uh, and then completing out uh, this study in the spring. So if you get tired of the Sermon on the Mount, I'm sorry, but we're going to be here for a while because it truly is rich and it is deep and it demands that we look at it fully because what we said last week by way of introduction to the entirety of of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's Gospel, uh, is this. It is Jesus' teaching on kingdom life. It is what we look like as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We would consider it radical in our culture, but Jesus considered it normative within his kingdom and in his culture, as it were, of Christianity, of following him. And so we're going to come this morning and out of the gates, Jesus pronounces statements of blessing. He begins to look at a particular kind of person. And so we are going to approach this morning the Beatitudes as a whole unit, and then next week begin to dissect them one by one. So if you have your Bibles, let us ask God now to bless the reading and the hearing and the teaching of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we come to Your Word and we submit ourselves to it this morning, that it is Your Word breathed by You, and that we receive it And that we ask for your spirit to move through it, to impact our lives, shape and reshape us, teach us, remove false understanding uh, from our thoughts. And would your word penetrate deep within our very souls and transform us, for we want to be like our Savior, Christ Jesus our Lord. This we pray in your name. Amen. This is the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, 
for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of thing evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. So as we come to this section, the Beatitudes, this first step into Jesus' sermon, we come asking a certain questions. What is a Beatitude? What are we supposed to learn from the Beatitude? Do they spell uh, out conditions that we have to meet in order to gain eternal life and entrance into uh, the kingdom? Uh, or are, have they already been met? And this is something more of an announcement or a declaration. Uh, do we celebrate the power of God with the disciples? Uh, how does all of this work? And what we begin to see is that Jesus first gathers the crowds together, his disciples being uh, the unit of people around him particularly gathered, and leaning in around were the crowds. And we're going to, by way of reminder, hit on a couple of things right out of the gate. First, who is speaking? And we all know that it's Jesus who is speaking, and this seems trivial, But it's important to remember, it may actually be the most important point of anything that I say today, that we are listening to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. We are listening to the God-man speak who was fully God, that he was equal with God the Father and God the Son in power, and equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in power Uh, and in glory, uh, that he who has no beginning and no end, the Alpha and the Omega, Omega, the King uh, of Heaven, our Redeemer, our Savior, the very Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the true King David. This is he who uh, is speaking, who is also fully man, born in the likeness of man, who stood in our place uh, with all perfect authority to now take upon himself the wrath of God as the perfect substitute, the perfect propitiation of our sins to cover us and that his sacrifice and no one else's sacrifice has been acceptable to God uh, to produce righteousness in those who don't deserve it. This is the one who's speaking. It's Christ Jesus. Yes, he is a man, but he is fully God. He is not like any other man. And he is someone whom we must listen to, not for the content of what he teaches, but because of who he is as a person. Who he is as a person. People come and listen to speakers, and we make our decisions on whether we'll come back based on the content of what they say and how they say it, the oration skills that they have, the manner in which they dissect certain things and present things to us will determine whether we will come back and listen. And if we do listen, whether we'll take what they say and apply it into our lives or as 
I was joking in uh, my family. It was said one time by a family member. I said something to them, and she looked at me, and she said, uh, I'll accept that as truth. And I was like, well, good, because it is. And that's what Jesus is saying to us, as we remember last week. He began by saying, amen and amen, verily, verily, truth, truth. Whether you want to accept it or not doesn't matter, because it's truth. And what I'm speaking is true because of who I am, and I can only speak truth to you. So it's important, out of the gate, to remember who's speaking. That this isn't someone to be trifled with. This isn't someone that you should lightly discard. Now, you have the freedom to discard him. You have the freedom to say, I decide not to listen to you. I'm going to disregard everything that you say. But recognize who it is that you're discarding. He is not like anyone else. So it's Jesus who is speaking. Uh, This same Jesus who in chapter 4, verse 23, says that he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And, And so you see that he went, and just before that he had called the disciples to himself. And then he went about now teaching and healing, uh, showing these things about the kingdom of heaven. And if you were to flip over a few chapters to chapter 9, verse 35, you'd hear a redundancy of that statement. You would hear, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Isn't it interesting that Matthew, writing and putting this together for us to understand, begins this section and ends this whole long section with these two identical statements. And in between, there is this incredible now section of chapters 5 through 7, which are the teachings of the kingdom. Chapters 8 and 9, uh, which are the healings or in the power of the kingdom that we see within uh, Jesus' life. And so what we learn from that uh, is simply this, that the Lord who teaches like this in the Sermon on the Mount is the same Lord who calls us, and He is the same Lord who shows His power throughout all of the universe. And so the personal work and power of Jesus Christ are inseparable from His teaching for too many people They want the teaching and the moral teachings of Jesus. They want to be better people. Some of you may be here today wanting to become a better person. And so you've gone and you've tried other self-help things and you've tried some other uh, teachers within the world and you said, well, I've heard Jesus was a really good teacher and he had some really good things to say and so I'll try to apply his teachings within my life. Others of you are here because you say, I need power within my life, and I've heard that Jesus is a powerful uh, man, and that he could do powerful things, and I want to overcome addiction in my life, so I'm going to give Jesus a try. I I want my marriage uh, to be restored, and so I'm going to give Jesus a try, because I'd like to have his power uh, in my life. But here's what you need to know uh, about Jesus, what you need to know about his teaching, and what you need to know about his power. They cannot be separated from his personhood. In order to fully understand his teaching and to see this teaching flow out and become part of your life to transform your life internally and then moving externally through your life, you have to accept Christ. And if you want the power of Christ in your life to transform your marriage, to transform your life, to transform your family, to do incredible things, to believe that the world can be turned upside down from the power of the gospel, is you have to still accept Jesus. And so make sure you understand that as we're out of the gates. We want all the blessedness that's about to be taught. I want to be blessed. I want to be happy. I want all this stuff. Well, the way to get it is with Christ. 
You can't have one or the other. And so that's the first thing that we need to understand of who's teaching all of this to us. Second thing, quickly, by way of reminder, is to be reminded of the audience, of who's listening to his teaching. And the audience back in uh, the day, uh, back when Jesus was teaching this for the very first time, is no different from the audience that's actually listening to it right here today. There were two parts of the same audience. There were the disciples, the followers of Christ, called by him, uh, who were followers of him, who would be called Christians, who were listening, and so there was application to them about what life in the kingdom looked like, about who they were, uh, about what it was that was different about them uh, in their life. And so those who, some of you who are listening in here today are disciples, you're followers of Jesus Christ, your life has been radically changed by him, you call him Lord and Savior, and you follow, and so you're listening and going, I want to learn from him. But then there's a concentric circle around this of the crowds. And the crowds were leaning in. And the crowds were listening. And what they were hearing is this, if you want all of these things, you have to accept the teacher. And so within the context of the church today, there are some of you here who are leaning in and listening. That you're saying, I haven't accepted Christ yet. Not saying I won't. But I haven't accepted him yet, and I'm listening in to see what's this Christian life about? What is Christ like? Is this true? Can I place my very hope and trust in him? Is he who he says that he is? So it's clear that the crowds were listening and Jesus wanted them to listen, even though the sermon was primarily designed for the disciples. A quick aside. That's why we still believe in the preaching of God's word within the context of public worship. Because we believe that there are always two audiences listening. A sermon is primarily, and the work of the church is primarily for the disciple. It is to build up the disciple, to teach the disciple, uh, to help us understand who we are as citizens of the kingdom, as sons and daughters of the king, to understand our life in Jesus Christ. But it is always preached, and the sermon is always taught in a way, saying, but I know there's others listening in. And so we want you to hear, and we want it to be digestible to you. We want it to be uh, accessible uh, to you so that you hear these things and you could be drawn into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So there's always two audiences that listen to the teaching of Jesus Christ. So now, we know who's teaching, we know the audience. Let's look at what the teaching is about. How does the Lord begin? He begins by pronouncing a certain kind of person as incredibly fortunate. He begins by pronouncing that there's a certain kind of person as fortunate. And we call these pronouncements that he is making beatitudes. They come from the Latin word that has as its root happiness or the blessedness. Now, we've talked about this before, but it's important for us to come back and to be reminded of it because the world tells us something different every single day. That blessedness... Happiness comes through means that are cultural-based, temporally-based, that are attainable by human effort, and that's what our world is telling us constantly every single day. So what is biblical blessedness? Biblical blessedness is more than human happiness. It can be translated happy, and I've translated it happy uh, before, as we've talked about Psalm 1, how blessed is the man uh, who, and we talked about that, that's a beatitude, as it were, how happy is the man. 
But you have to understand, happy is more uh, than what this life offers as happiness. It's more uh, than uh, a hug. It's more than getting a cute new puppy. Uh, it's more than walking out on the beach and seeing the dolphins play. It's more than that kind of happiness. It is a divine happiness that Jesus is talking about. It is a particular kind of happiness. It is a particular flavor, as it were, of happiness. And as one writer put it, it is the supreme dimension of happiness. Not a passing delight, but it is the state, the condition of the soul that is overwhelmed by the sweetness, delight, and contentment that comes from being in the presence of God. That's blessedness. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, blessed are you, fortunate are you, those who experience the very presence of God. You, above anybody else in the world, are blessed. There is a profound divine happiness that comes to you. It, you are overwhelmed by the sweetness, the delight, and the contentment that comes from being in the presence of God. Have you thought about this this week? Can you describe your week and your relationship with Christ as sweet and content and overwhelmed by His presence? I used to ask college students when I was a college pastor, does it, make you, does it bring you great comfort or discomfort that God sees you all the time and is with you constantly? And the response of most college students was, yeah. Not so much that it brings me contentment and delight, but what Jesus is saying, oh, then you don't understand. Blessedness comes by being able to see God, by being able to be seen by God, to be in His presence. That is true happiness in theological circles, if you want a good theological term today to add to your repertoire. Add this one, beatific vision. The beatific vision uh, of God, that beauty, that picture, it's the supreme hope of the Christian life. That that is our vision, uh, the promise to the believer of ultimate satisfaction one day in the presence of God. Isn't that awesome? That what you're looking forward to, by the way, uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, what you would be looking forward to one day uh, is more than nirvana. It's more uh, than simply a, a coming of one with the great it and all of that stuff and emptying yourself into the universe and becoming at peace. It is saying, no, one day I'm going to be fully in the presence of God and He's going to see me. But I get to see Him as He is. Listen to 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. A vision, a beatific, a beauty, a transformative vision of seeing God. That is blessedness. St. Augustine wrote these words in his confession. God, Thou hast made us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. He's saying we're looking for this. All of you, all of us are looking for this kind of vision in life. We're looking around. We're trying to find it. We're trying to look and see that maybe if I attain this, then and only then 
uh, will I find this blessedness, this happiness, this state. I, I was talking to somebody in between the services, and I didn't get a chance to watch uh, the women's final uh, of the U.S. Open yesterday, but what a sad event that this young 20-year-old girl uh, beats her childhood idol, uh, Serena Williams, and she wins the U.S. Open, and she's booed. And in her acceptance speech uh, of gaining this thing that she has dreamed of as a young woman uh, growing up in Ohio, though of Japanese descent and playing under the flag of Japan, she apologized to the crowd. I'm sorry that this isn't what you wanted. Can you imagine? And the reality is you can. Because each of us at some level have said of something in this life, if I gain that, then I'll be happy. If I gain this, then I'll be blessed. And what that young woman found out that fast is this life will never satisfy you. Your heart will always be restless within you. Your heart will never find rest until it finds rest in God. And so blessedness for the believer is linked to our vision of God. It's linked to our beholding of Him. Of seeing Him now. And one day of seeing Him fully as He is. We sang about that. Beholding Him. That when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards Him, uh, he said, hey, take a quick glance or some dude walking over. Hey, there's a cool rabbi. Hey, that guy, yeah, take a peek. And he said, behold Him. Cast your stare and your vision upon Him because if you behold Him, you will be transformed. If you consider Him and accept Him for who He is, your life will be transfigured. It will be changed cataclysmically because of who He is and your vision of Him, of seeing Him and beholding Him. Let me give you an example of how we know this is true. At the end of the service today, I'm going uh, to pronounce a blessing, a benediction, the good word. And I'm going to raise my hands and I'm going to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of His countenance towards you and grant you His peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. If you've noticed, you'll know there's a repetition. And you're going, yeah, we hear it every single week. No, within the benediction, there's a repetition three times. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord bless you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. The Lord lift up His countenance towards you. And what you see by that is saying this, the blessing of the Lord, for the Lord to bless you, is for Him to make His face to shine upon you and to turn His countenance towards you. If you want blessing, if you want the Lord uh, to bless you, if you want to be blessed, it's the Lord turning His face towards you. And then what we gain is that triple uh, thing of saying, so if He does, the Lord bless you. Well, if He blesses you, then you are kept. You, are, you persevere. What people group in all of the world wouldn't have wanted to know that they were kept than the Jewish people. This small, insignificant group of people in the ancient Near East. And God said, but I'm going to keep you because my face is upon you. And I've blessed you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The blessedness of God is being kept by Him and persevering in Him. It is experiencing His grace that we know comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord lift up the light of His countenance towards you and grant you His shalom. His peace. That we understand that this blessedness that comes to us 
through Christ is a blessedness as that of being kept, of experiencing grace, and of having this incredible, lasting, and enduring peace. So blessedness for the Christian is always associated to and joined to our vision of seeing God, of knowing Him in that way. That's why we talk of beholding. So let's look at just for a moment at, okay, there's these, now we want to be blessed. This is what blessedness looks like. Well, there are eight Beatitudes that are here in this teaching. And like I said, over the next course of weeks, we're going to look at these Beatitudes. I say that there are eight because I don't consider verse 11 to be a separate Beatitude. I would say that verse 11 is a qualifier for verse 10. Uh, that it begins differently, it's nuanced differently. And so what we see in verses 3 through 10 are these Beatitudes as a unit. And what we notice first, uh, we notice the promise of the first Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then you jump down to verse 10, and guess what you hear? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That both of them have an identical promise, and it's stated in the present tense. But then you look into the middle, into the other eight Beatitudes. This is structure, and you're going, I don't care about structure. Well, it's important. Deal with me, and I like it, and if you, if you don't, because uh, I think it's exciting, and things like this get me excited. It's what I do during the week, if you wonder what I do. I get excited about structure of Scripture. And we look at it and we go, oh, that's sandwiched in between these are verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. For they will be comforted. For they shall inherit the earth. For they shall be satisfied. For they shall receive mercy. For they shall see God. For they shall be called sons of God. Future tense. There's a present reality and a future tense in, in this. So what do we learn by this pattern? I think there's two things that we learn from this pattern. And I'm sure that you already had it down pat, but I'll give it to you as by way of reminder. The first is this, that there are blessings of the kingdom that are now. That we have received the blessings of the kingdom now. That these are statements to us as believers saying you presently have this. You have inherited the kingdom of heaven. You are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You are in it and you are experiencing the kingdom of heaven now. The Beatitudes are not what we are to do. Make sure you hear that. The Beatitudes are not what we are to do in order to gain the kingdom, but rather are a description of the blessings afforded to us who are already part of the kingdom of heaven. That is massive in its difference, right? You're not going to do these things in order to get the kingdom of heaven, but you have the kingdom of heaven now through Christ, who is our Savior, and He's saying, here, this is what you now have. And what we have are not eight separate and distinct groups of disciples. Some of you aren't in here going, well, I got the meek part, hoping that you didn't get the persecuted part. Some of you are going, well, I'm the mourning part. I'm the one who, uh, you know, is over here. I'm pure in heart. Those hunger and thirst for righteousness. No, he's saying these are a collective whole. That all of these qualities are to characterize all of Christ's followers. It's like the gift of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. That we have all of these fruits. 
in their fullness in us. So Christians are to be like this. All Christians are to be like this. All Christians are meant to manifest all of these characteristics. And none of these characteristics that are given to us here are able to be created naturally within mankind. But they are supernatural in their nature. That they come to us by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we enter into kingdom citizenship. Folks, you're different from the world around you. I hate to break it to you. You are different and the world says this. They reject you. Why? Because they rejected Him. They don't know you or accept you because they didn't know Him and accept Him. And the pining of the American church is to be accepted by the American culture. And that is not the mission of the American church. That's not the mission of the church ever. And it's not the the mission of the believer in the church. It's to say, I'm going to be like Christ. And I recognize that I want to be winsome. And I want to present myself within the world so that maybe some would come through my witness to Christ. But my greatest desire isn't to have the world like me. And if it is, folks, guess what? You'll win the U.S. Open and be booed. You will do everything that you can do to gain that. And what you'll find is the standards shift, don't they? What I'm going to find out probably soon is that skinny isn't vogue. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that pleated pants come back. Because i got a closet full of them. And I don't know what to do with them. Because I'm too cheap to get rid of them. And I know that I'm going to gain the weight back and I'll be back in them. Hoping that one day you'll look and go, hey, old man pants. Yeah. But everything changes and shifts and moves. And so our delight and our hope is not to have the world like us. It's to see these things in us and these things in us differentiate us from the world. They make the world look and go, there's something different about you. How is it that you mourn, but you mourn differently? How is it that you suffer, but you suffer differently? How is it that you have a passion for righteousness? How is it that you are this way? And you look at them and you go, because I'm part of a different kingdom? Because he may be in the White House, but I know who's on the throne. I'm not worried about all of this. I'm engaged in it. But I'm a citizen of someplace else. Parents. Please teach your children this. That the world's never going to accept them for their being Christian. And they're going to desire to be accepted by the world because that is ingrained in us. And we have to keep teaching our children and teaching our own hearts and teaching one another. You are fully accepted by Christ in His kingdom. And so there's this sense of what we learn by this structure that these are the blessings of the kingdom. But the second thing that we learn that it is, yes, it's present. We already have them. But when it speaks in the future tense, what it's telling us and teaching us this is it's just a foretaste. We receive some of these blessings now. We're receiving a foretaste of it. But something is to come uh, there is more uh, to come. It, it is this picture uh, that put that Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven to earth in his own kingly power and by fellowship with him and that we can enjoy foretastes of it now, here and now, but the full experience of it won't be until he returns again and now makes everything right and new. And sometimes so many followers of Jesus and people within the church get derailed because you think and you've believed in a teaching that says you can experience it in its fullness now. 
That there shouldn't be any poverty in the world. If you just love Jesus, He'll take care of poverty now. If you really fully love Jesus, there won't be any suffering now. If you fully love Jesus, then all of this will happen. Health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is the most popular gospel in the entire world. And you know what it's doing? It's damning souls to hell. It's crushing lovely brothers and sisters of ours who are thinking that there's something wrong with them. That maybe they're the problem. Because what we're teaching and what I'm teaching you is this. You can experience some of this, but it's a foretaste. It's just a sample. You're on this side of the Baskin-Robbins 31 and the person's handing over little bits to you. And you're going a little bit of that and a little bit of that. You're not on the other side yet. But one day, guess what? We'll be on the other side. Isn't that going to be an awesome day? Because we get to have it in its fullness and in its completeness one day. But here now, we begin to experience it a little bit. So as we wrap this up, what do we do? How do we conclude all of this? Unless you see the Beatitudes as part of this biblical fabric, you will not be able to understand them at all. You have to see them in their bigger picture. You have to see that it is an announcement and an invitation. For those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, this is an announcement by Christ, your King and Savior and Lord, saying this is who you are. Be reminded today. That's why we come to church so often, isn't it? To be reminded. This is who I am. I come back here and go, okay, I'm blessed. I've already received these things. Blessed, blessed, and fortunate are you who have the kingdom power at work within you. For you will inherit the kingdom with all of its infinite pleasures forever and ever one day. The Beatitudes are announcements that people like this are very blessed. They're very fortunate. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, know this today. You are incredibly fortunate. More so than anybody else in all of the world. Because the king of the world and the king of the universe has declared it as such. And I'll trust him on that one. So it's an announcement, but it's also an invitation. It's an invitation to those of you who are in the crowd leaning in. It's an invitation to say this, I want to taste it. I I want to experience that. I want that as my inheritance. I want that as my surety. I want that as my peace within the storm. I want that as my hope within this life. I want that as the applause of heaven, which isn't based on my performance. I want that. And Jesus is inviting you in and saying, you can have it today if you accept me. You can have it today. And you can have me keeping you and being gracious to you and giving you a peace that passes all understanding. So the question becomes to you today, to us today, what are they to you? Are these words an assurance and an encouragement of your great fortune in the world? Or are they an invitation to you? But either way, act upon it. For Christ invites you to a table today. For some of you, this table is a table of great assurance. Saying, this is my life. This is how I've gained my life. For others... This is an invitation to the table today of saying, come to the one who can give you the life of the kingdom and the blessings of the kingdom through him and him alone. Let's pray.